All right, the rest of us, let's find in our Bibles Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, which is right in the center of what we call the Sermon on the Mount, where our Lord Jesus sat down to teach his disciples. Remember, as we looked at that last week, we said, this is teaching specifically for disciples. It's not for the world. It's for follower learners of Jesus Christ, which is what we all claim to be. It's important to keep that in context because at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, as we've looked at so many times, Jesus gives the Great Commission and says to his disciples, go make disciples and then teach them to obey me. And in that statement, he certainly had in mind the teachings of the Gospel of Matthew, that they are for his disciples. They are how we are to think and how we are to live. It is really our obedience to the commands of Jesus that qualify us to be his disciples. And so we want to look for those commands in these verses in the Sermon on the Mount, find them, and then apply them to our lives. Let's read, beginning in verse 25, and we'll just read through the end of this chapter, which is one section. You'll notice the command over, the, the title rather, over this passage, which is a uh, command, and that is, do not be anxious. Jesus said, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven... Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's now pause and ask God's blessing on this passage. Oh, Father, we know these are your most holy, true, pure, inerrant, and infallible words. We praise you for them. We want to submit ourselves now under them. Thank you for them. 
Help us now by your Holy Spirit to understand what Jesus is teaching here and how it applies to our lives. Help us to receive the word with meekness and a real willingness to put it into practice in our lives so that we are not an anxious people, but a peaceful people who are trusting in you, our Heavenly Father, to provide all our needs. We ask this now in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, according to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, and yes, there is such a thing, they say that anxiety orders are now the number one, uh, or anxiety disorders are now the number one mental disorder in the U.S. And according uh, to the World Health Organization, they are the number one uh, mental disorder around the world. In the United States alone, more than 40 million adults are officially diagnosed and uh, affected by this mental disorder, as they call it, of anxiety. That's about 19% of our population. According to uh, 2019 statistics in the World Health Organization, over 308 million adults alone throughout the world, not including the uh, tens of millions of children and teenagers around the world are officially diagnosed. And that doesn't include, of course, many, many, many who are never diagnosed or treated or any of those things that it concludes. It's hundreds and hundreds of millions of people around the globe who are considered to be, have a mental disorder of anxiety. And its close cousin, of course, is depression. It's number two, affecting just under the same amount of people. This organization, Anxiety and Depression Association of America, has a tagline which says, it is usually, uh, I'm sorry, triumphing through science, treatment, and education. But unfortunately, the numbers don't match their claim of triumph. Matter of fact, the numbers I'm citing to you are pre-COVID numbers, and they already know, though they don't have the official numbers, they already know those numbers of mental disorders, including the top two now, anxiety and depression, far exceed what they already had because of COVID, which, by the way, does illustrate that the vast majority of those numbers aren't a, a mental illness per se. They're situationally affected. So a situation comes in, and people respond with what? Anxiety, which leads to depression. The Bible speaks to the issue of anxiety, as a matter of fact, throughout it. The Bible actually gives effective counsel to those who are willing to listen to it in the treatment, and yes, listen to this, the triumph over anxiety. When we promote at Calvary Bible Church biblical counseling, we're not saying that there aren't things that maybe people have or struggle with that are true psychiatric uh, situations. That's true. It's just a fact that the brain can be uh, sick and ill like any other part of our body. We admit it. I've seen it play out uh, with people I know. 
Uh, and this is the truth. But what we're saying is that then these issues, these hundreds of millions of people that have this mental disorder, is what it is, is that they are human beings living in a fallen world apart from God. And so nothing to them is going to make sense, fall into line, and it's going to result, friends, listen, in anxiety and depression. Jesus is speaking here about really probably the number one thing that people are anxious about, and that is in the issue of provision and finances and daily need. The franticness of life. Mildly different than the people Jesus was talking to who were talking to people who were living hand to mouth. They literally didn't know where they were going to get their next meal. That might cause some anxiety with people. But in our culture, in our daily lives, in its hurriedness, in its busyness, in its franticness, the problem of anxiety has actually grown. I don't know about you, but I know as a person who deals with anxiety, chronically, probably, most people would say, depression, I don't need to be lectured on it or what science is saying on it. I've experienced it myself and still battle with it to this day on a daily occurrence. Congratulations, your pastor has problems. (laughs) Nobody can lecture me on it. But I can tell you this, that the source of help and triumph that I have been enabled to achieve has come by God through his Holy Spirit in the word of God. that I would much rather listen to Jesus himself. Jesus, tell me about anxiety than I would any trained therapist or counselor that you could scour the earth and find, the most credentialed, knowledgeable, wise one. I'd rather listen to Jesus and the word of God with the spirit of God in me has been the source of my triumph in those areas when I've been enabled to triumph. Not through science, treatment, or secular education. Because of the world, and it's proven by the numbers, it's just statistically true, does not know how to treat these disorders. This is a text about anxiety and Jesus giving us commands about it. The commands of Jesus are what make us disciples. Last week it was the issue, of course, of laying up our treasures on earth, being materialistic. Our eyes focused on the things of this world and the accumulation of more of them. Gaining wealth for wealth's sake. Gaining possessions for possession's sake covetousness and materialism. He's warning against that. He's like, you are not to be that way. You are to be laying up treasures in heaven because disciples have a uniquely eternal focus in mind. They're heavenly minded, yes. They're spiritually minded. They're eternally minded. That's different. It sees through the facade of this world and all of its marketing about what the world offers. Sees the temporary, fragile nature of it looking towards eternity. 
But this week, he really doesn't transition in his topic. He's staying in the same vein, if you will, of money and finances and material things. We know that because in verse 25, it begins with the word therefore. Did you notice that? It's not switching to something new. He's saying, based on what I just said, now adhere to this command. It's staying in the same train of thought, if you will. As human beings, friends, we have needs. We have daily needs. We have needs for life. And our Father in heaven knows that. He's not unfamiliar with the fact that we have needs. And that our daily lives are pressed with these needs. He's aware that we have needs and he created us to have needs. Do you know in your first step in your battle against anxiety is found in Genesis 1? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And on the sixth day, he made human beings to be dependent on him. Listen to this now. For everything, right down to the clothes you put on that you need, the shelter that you have to go live in, the food you need, all of it, physical, spiritual. uh, We are created to depend with trust in him, you see. We're created this way. Not to be taking these burdens on ourselves. It's always up to us to provide for ourselves. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus isn't going to teach anywhere that his disciples aren't to be working and earning an income and taking care of the business of their lives. He's just saying that even your working and your income come from God. They're part of his provision for you and your daily life, right? And he wants us to trust him for that. That's what Jesus is teaching. You can trust God. You can trust God to provide for you. That's the main point of this whole passage. You could actually leave if you wanted to and you'd have it. But don't do that. Let's break it up a little bit. Jesus issues this command, do not be anxious And in the verses we just read, he does it three times. Verse 25, therefore, he says, do not be anxious. Verse 31, therefore, do not be anxious. Verse 34, therefore, do not be anxious. If we want to be disciples who obey the command of Jesus, what are we not going to do? Be anxious. If we wanted to disobey Jesus and not be his disciples, what would we do? We'll be anxious. The command could also be translated in this way, stop being anxious. It's an interesting way in which the imperative here is put forward. It could mean either on the one hand, okay, you're not anxious now, great, now don't be anxious. Or it can mean you're anxious now, stop it. Stop being anxious. Anxiousness isn't the answer. It's just 
It's not going to lead to a solution. It's only going to lead to more of a problem, right? And this is a gracious command, I think. It's a kind and it's a gracious command. The reason I say that is because no one in their right mind wants to be anxious. Anxiety, fretting, worry, fear, these are one of the most uncomfortable sets of emotions we have. Dreading something, being anxious about it. It causes so much harm within us. And I mean, science has shown and proven and medicine has shown and proven that being anxious over long periods of time and being a stressed out person is actually harmful to your health. Has very negative effects. So it's gracious of Jesus to say, don't be anxious. Which when you say to an anxious person, and I know from experience, can be maddening. But don't worry. Jesus doesn't give counsel like worldly counsel, like just stop being anxious or just generally, just don't be anxious, everything will work out. Well, that person doesn't know that. And therefore, Jesus says, therefore, don't be anxious. Did you notice that? In front of all three of these commands, Therefore, don't be anxious. Therefore, don't be anxious. Therefore, don't be anxious. The therefore is Jesus demonstrating that what he's telling you in not to be anxious or stop being anxious is rooted in truth. Truth that you need to have in your mind and believe in your heart and then respond to appropriately. It's never just a trite, oh, stop worrying about it. You, you worry so much. You're anxious so much. You don't need to worry. Well, you don't know that I don't need to worry, you see. Because my worst worries may come true, right? So we need some foundation and some roots and some substance from the Bible, from Jesus himself and other places and helping us see why we can stop worrying and see that the solution to stop to, to worry is faith. We'll see that very clearly. It says, therefore. Now, as usual, I have too many notes for the amount of time I'm allotted for a sermon. Let me, let me back up just for a moment. This is a gracious command, but we do need to identify something here I think that's very important about anxiety. When anxiety is forbidden in Scripture, and it is both in the Old and New Testament, that means that there is a line an anxious person crosses where they are now in disobedience to God. Friends, we have to we have to acknowledge that anxiety can be sinful. When anxiety is not identified as something that is not God's will for me, when we learn as we will that we see that anxiety is ultimately caused by little faith, we know that this isn't God's will and yet we just live in this worriedness in anxiety, we have to admit that's a sin. You know, we recommended a long time ago, actually now, Jerry Bridges' book on respectable sins. The whole premise of the book is there are some skins that are just scandalous. You hear somebody did it, you're like, oh, he didn't. 
tell me more about it, right? It's scandalous. But there are other sins that he's saying that are prevalent, probably more so in the Christian community, and nobody responds that way. And anxiety is one of his chapters. Anxiety, worry, and fear. It is a sin. I wouldn't say that in every situation the feeling this has crossed into sinfulness but where that line is to be honest I don't know but to live in perpetual anxiety when it's forbidden so clearly in scripture carries with it sinfulness I love what the Lord said to Joshua when he was about to take over Israel after Moses died which would have been a very for me at least anxiety producing event And the Lord said to him, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. Jesus said in John 14, verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid, you see. Peace and anxiety are antithetical and Jesus gives us peace and therefore he commands us not to be worried and of course as we read earlier in Philippians 4 verse 6 he says do not be anxious listen to this about anything and in case you're tempted at that point to say to Paul yeah but you don't know what I got going on might I remind you Paul was imprisoned and didn't know whether or not he was going to be put to death so you don't have that going on Be anxious, do not be anxious about anything. Now, as I mentioned, back in Matthew 6, these commands to not be anxious are rooted with therefore. Let's look at the first one, verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What do you mean about my life, Jesus? Well, this is what he means. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. He's talking about the necessities of our lives, whatever that may be. And he says, now, I don't want you worrying about those, but he roots it in that word, therefore, which is in the verses right before that. Remember what he said? No one can serve two masters, for, whether he, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. In other words, you can either serve God, the Lord can be your Lord, and you serve him or you can serve money. Disciples have to make a choice. You can't be living for both. And if you're anxious about your finances and daily provision and the things that you need in this world, if that's your driver, you're going to become a servant to money. You're going to frantically pursue those things. You can't. Don't be worried about those things. If you do, it's going to lead to the problem, friends, of worldliness, you see. Only thinking about the here and the now. Now, Jesus asks at the end of verse 25 a probing question that we all know the answer to. After he says, do not be anxious about your life, meaning what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Well, we all know the answer to that question. It is. Are you living like that's true, though? Is our life reflective of the fact that we really believe that life is more than the physical needs of our life? 
Because the answer was obvious. He wasn't looking for a disciple to go, ooh, ooh, Jesus, I know. Yeah, life is more than that. He wasn't looking for that response. They all knew it. There are spiritual soul needs and there are physical needs. This is all part of being a human, body, a human person. And we know that uh, uh, there, is, there are both of these kinds of needs and, and Jesus wants them to recognize that what you're probably doing in your anxiety is as you're focusing on the physical things of life, like your job and your income and your career and even your kids and your, all of those things that we have in our daily life, you're focusing on those most likely to the exclusion of the other. When you're anxious about your life, when you're anxious about the daily things you gotta get done and there's anxiety driving it all, it's to the neglect often of the soul. That's what happens. You know, back in chapter four, Jesus was being tempted by the devil in the wilderness and he was actually devoid of his needs for about 40 days, he didn't eat. Imagine such a thing. So he was starving. The devil shows up and he says, if you're the son of God, make those stones be bread. You could have the power to do it if you're the son of God. And it's true, he had the power to do it. But Jesus knew as our representative, he was to be trusting his father to provide what he needed. It wasn't to bypass this element of humanity and use supernatural power, so to speak, to make this. And so he quotes to him from Deuteronomy. And he says in Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Man needs bread, devil, that's true. But the li- our life is more than our food. We have a soul that needs nourishing. And him saying, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God is teaching you and me the way to feed our souls. That you have soul needs that can only be fed by God's word. Your soul needs God's word. Your life is more than these material things that yes, you have to take care of, but it's more than that. It's more than the physical. You need your soul fed. Are you able to put that into practice this year? Because friends, biblically speaking, the soul is actually more important than the physical. Are you getting up every day and you run frantically into your day? Gotta get everything done. Gotta get this done. Run frantically into your day and you neglect your soul. That's why your soul's starving, by the way. Any treatment for anxiety has to begin with that acknowledgement that your soul is probably starving and that you need that quiet, peaceful, soul-encouraging, invigorating time with God. If you're not willing to begin with that most basic premise, then you can't really lastingly be helped with anxiety or triumph over it. Ironically, the anxiety about daily life and the pursuit of daily life drives us to do that, which actually leads to more anxiety. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And then Jesus goes even deeper now. 
He wants you to begin to learn to trust God more because he's about to identify that that's the real problem. He wants you to learn to begin to trust God more, which as we trust God more in every day of our lives, anxiety loses its grip more and more because we're trusting in God more and more. That's how it works. And so what Jesus does in verses 26 to 30 is he says, I want you to do something. I want you to look around you. I want you to look at nature. Look at the birds. Look at those flowers. Look at the grass even. Look at how God is faithful to provide for these things. He's so faithful day upon day to provide for the birds and to provide flowers and even the grass. And he asks another probing question. Verse 26, are you not of more value than they which we all know the question to, right? Or the answer to that question. We are more valuable to God than the birds. Again, the answer to much of your anxiety is rooted in Genesis 1. Yes, he creates the animal life, but then uniquely, right? Uniquely on the sixth day, he creates mankind in his own image with unique relationship with himself, you see. You are of more value than birds and flowers and grass, so shouldn't you expect your God to be faithful to you, your heavenly Father now, you as his child? Look at creation, Jesus says. You know, I love the song, Great is Thy Faithfulness, as I'm assuming most many of you do as well. Listen to this. Summer and winter and springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above join with all nature in manifold witness to, listen, thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. You know, you could use that song, if you're struggling with anxiety, use that song to preach to your own soul the faithfulness of your God, and then just take a look out of creation and be reminded of who created that and who created you and his faithfulness to provide for what he has created. God is not some distant creator who kind of brought everything into existence and then lets it go on its own. He's intimately involved in every detail, including the birds of the air and the flowers of the field and the grass. And you are of way more value to God than those things and therefore you can trust him to provide for all you need. Verse 31, he says, therefore, rooted in that, rooted in God's faithfulness to all he has created and you uniquely as a human being and you uniquely as a disciple, as a child of your heavenly father, therefore do not be anxious saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? And I use that word trust purposely because if you look at the end of verse 31, he says, O you of little faith, I'm sorry, verse 30 actually. If God so clothes the grass of the field which uh, today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, therefore don't be anxious. What is the problem with anxiety? 
Jesus reveals it right here. You're seeing his evidence in creation of his faithfulness and yet you're failing to trust him to provide for you and to care for everything you need. You have little faith. He isn't saying you have no faith. They had faith, but it was little. Did you know as a Christian, God intends for our faith to grow. Some of us, we begin in the Christian life, of course, as everyone does, we believe in Jesus so that we can be saved. What do we believe? Well, that he lived a perfect life for us, that he died on the cross, that he rose again. And we believe in him, we can be saved. And by that we mean we get eternal life and the forgiveness of sins and we go to heaven and we go into his kingdom. Wonderful. But you know the Bible teaches a holistic faith. A faith in all of life, salvation being a part of it. But friends, it isn't as though God saves you when you trust in Jesus and then turns you loose and says, okay, now you got, you got your ticket into to heaven. Now, okay, I'll see you when you get here. Good luck with everything in between. What God does is provides us with his presence and his power and his compassion and his care and his comfort and his provision in every single day of your life. Believing in Jesus, yes, trusting in Christ to save you from your sins, but God wants you to have a growing faith that sees him, listen, connected even into the daily concerns of your life to the extent that Peter says, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you, Peter said. All your cares the small ones and the big ones and everything in between all day of your, every day of your life, all days of your life, you are to be trusting in God so that your faith can grow. And friends, faith is an anxiety killer. Now God, I believe, gives people, I think there's a gift of faith out there. And I think some people have great faith and God puts them in the presence of other God's people and they'll watch these people of great faith walk through trials and they'll do so with peace and with joy and with love so that the rest of the church can look and see that's the goal, right? To be growing in my faith so that I trust God no matter what happens. The biggest fueler of anxiety is the what if question you say Jess I can trust him for my provision but what if this happens or what if that happens or what if God doesn't do that what if what if what if now all of a sudden I'm anxious to which I would reply two things one I one I learned a long time ago about what if questions what if worms had machine guns then birds wouldn't mess with them right (laughs) but more importantly The what if questions about what happens is this. The answer to it always is this. It's trust in God. Even if that happens, God is there with me. God will not leave me. God will help me, comfort me, strengthen me, uphold me, no matter even if my what if happens. Do you see how that works? And we trust him for it. The answer to fear and anxiety and worry is simply this. It's a growing faith in God. 
And see, friends, just to put this plug again at the beginning of the year, this is why you've got to plan to spend private time with God because some of you don't know him well enough. What God has designed is for us to get to know him in our relationship with him through his word. He teaches, he instructs us, he informs us, he comforts us. Matter of fact, if you watch people of faith walk through trying times, what they will always tell you is some new verse, some new phrase, some new word that has broke forth in their hearts and souls and is actually helping them and encouraging them, maybe not for the whole time of the trial, but maybe for an hour of it, you see. We need the word of God to build your faith to help us walk through the anxiousness of life. And that little word that Jesus uses here, oh, you of little faith, he uses it several times in Matthew's gospel to his disciples. Oh, you of little faith, you of little faith. The next time is in Matthew chapter eight. You remember all the disciples, including Jesus, were out in the boat in the middle of the sea. It says in verse 24, behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves but he was asleep, which, by the way, is a picture of a peaceful man trusting in God, so much so that the boat's nearly tipping over and they're all afraid they're gonna die and he has to be woken up from his sleep. And they went and woke him, saying, save us, Lord, we're perishing. And he said to them, why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith. The sign of the worrier is one when the waves and the wind come, you know, the the unexpected thing happens or life gets tumultuous, they freak out. Just like the disciples. This is what we do, by the way. This is what people who deal with anxiety do. We freak out when things are going wrong. And we need to hear Jesus saying, why are you afraid right now? Did I not say I'm with you all the days? Did I not say, I will never leave you nor forsake you? You of little faith, that's your problem. Or in Matthew chapter 14, verses 30 to 31, they're out on a boat again, this time without Jesus. In the middle of the night, Jesus decides to walk to them on the water. They see him. They get scared because they're thinking they're seeing a ghost. Jesus is like, no, it's me, it's I. Peter, as Peter does, says, oh, Jesus, if that's you, let me come out. Let me walk out on the water with you, Jesus. And he says, come on. But when he saw, and listen, Jesus is the, or Peter was the second man to ever walk on the water. Two people, Jesus, Peter. He's out there walking on the water, which is impossible, by the way. Just a reminder. (laughs) Needed God's power to do it. And it says in the passage that when Peter saw the wind, He was what? Afraid. He started to look around, didn't he? He started to notice what was happening. He started to see the wind, the waves, of course, creeping up. And he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, I love this, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. And Jesus, what's he do? Immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Here it is again. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? You were doing so well when you were trusting me, when your eyes were fixed on me. You didn't mind the wind and the waves. You wanted out of the boat. 
You wanted to walk on the water, and in trusting in me, you did it. And you took your eyes off of me. You began to doubt my provision of your ability even to walk on water. You of little faith. And in Matthew chapter 16, verses 7 and 10, he uses it again. This is a funny instance, actually, because this follows on the heels of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Remember that handful of loaves and fishes? Jesus feeds thousands and thousands if you include the women and children. The very next chapter talks about Jesus feeding 4,000 and all their wives and children, tens of thousands of people being fed miraculously by Jesus. So does Jesus in this account with his disciples get somewhere and they realize they didn't have any bread to eat. And so they start worrying. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, we brought no bread. (laughs) But Jesus, aware of this, said, Oh, you have little faith. Here we are again. Why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000? How many baskets you gathered? Do you not remember my provision in the past? You you know what? Disciples have short-term memory. This is why we worry. This is why we're anxious. And the answer to anxiety, my friends, is trust in the Lord. Therefore, Jesus says back in Matthew 6, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? And you notice this in verse 32, for the Gentiles seek after all these things. This is the way the world thinks. And he says, you're my disciples. The world thinks this way. This is why they're all anxious. This is why they all have this quote-unquote disorder. Because they are thinking like the world. They don't have this good and loving Heavenly Father that they know provides for them. But you are His children. He provides for you. You know what God wants from us, for us, friends? And isn't this wonderful? He wants us to be free from things like anxiety. So that we can be free to devote ourselves to Him and His kingdom. And isn't that where Jesus is leading in verse 33? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. In other words, you're free from those concerns. I'll provide. Now what are you gonna do? You're gonna seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's your priority every day of your life, all the days of your life. And all these other things, you can just trust your heavenly father to provide. God wants us to be free from this very uncomfortable, oftentimes debilitating sin of anxiety so that we can be free to just invest ourselves in the things of this world that matter, to lay up our treasures in heaven, to serve the Lord with all our hearts and minds and souls and to trust him to provide. I love Isaiah 26 and I'll leave you with this. Verse three and four, listen to this promise. And this is a promise, by the way. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. In verse three there where it says perfect peace is actually the underlying word shalom. Everybody heard that word shalom in the Hebrew, peace? But it's, it's said twice In other words, Isaiah is saying, you keep him in shalom, shalom. 
Translators looked at it and said, what do we do with this? It means perfect peace. That's the way we, only way we can describe it. It is peace, peace, whose mind is stayed on you. And why does he hold them in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you? Because he trusts in you. That's what the Lord is wanting from us. And when we're trusting and when we're looking to him, the anxiety, maybe not all at once, but over time and throughout our lives, whittles away until we become more and more peaceful people. Those who look to the Lord, their faces, the psalmist says, are radiant. They shall never be ashamed. In other words, anyone that's willing to go all in on God, trusting in Him, doesn't need to worry about in the end, they're going to be ashamed of that decision or wish they had gone a different route. He keeps them in perfect peace. Whereas Paul said, do not be anxious about anything, but by, in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, listen to this, that surpasses understanding, that's the shalom, the shalom, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Trust in the Lord forever, Calvary, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truthfulness of your word. We are faltering, stumbling disciples of yours. What we learn today, we forget by tomorrow morning oftentimes. One of our biggest stumbling blocks can be this issue of anxiety and fear. And we know it's not your will. That's clear. So help us now. Work in us that which is pleasing in your sight and build the faith of every true believer in this room. Let Calvary Bible Church be a peaceful church. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.